How are we doing today, Genesis? Good, all right. Well, hey, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church. And can I just tell you this, that um, in 36 years of my life, I've come to learn that there are some things that I don't know. All right, now, you might find that hard to believe, but I've come to learn that there are indeed some things that I don't know. For example, why is it that gas, that gas prices can go up 25 cents in one day, but yet it'll take another eight weeks for it to drop by another 25 cents. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know. You know, I don't know how that works, but that's one of the questions that I've always had. Or, or why this? Why, why is it that we are so advanced now uh, in our country and with technology that we can land a spacecraft on the planet of Mars but there's still that one teeny tiny section of road between here and Westfield where I lose phone coverage every single time, you know? You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, guys, maybe you can relate with me on this next one. Um, why is it that I can go out and I, I can go for a 45-minute run or I can play basketball all day or something, but 45 minutes at the mall and I am done? I mean, I'm talking like leg cramps. And the physical exhaustion, my internal organs are shutting down. You know, I got to get out of there. Anybody relate with me on that one? I, I don't, yes, lots of hands up quickly. I don't know why it is like that, but that's just the way it is. Well, we're in this series uh, called IDK, um, I Don't Know. And we're talking about some of the tough questions that come up in life, some of the tough questions that come up in conversation uh, and with your faith. And it really doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. We all have these questions and at some point, you're going to have to respond to them. Now, last week, Steve did a fantastic job uh, with this great question, the important question of how can Jesus be the only way to heaven? And today, I want to take a look at the question, how is it, how can a loving God send someone to hell? You know, these, these topics of hell and Satan get a lot more press and coverage today uh, than maybe you realize. You know, we might be kind of surprised to find. I used to think that it was only fire and brimstone, you know, sort of pastors that, that would talk about such a subject, the subject of hell. But the conversation is really going on all around us if you'll pay attention to just that. I mean, you know, take, for example, this article that popped up on Fox News this past week. Uh, the subtitle simply said, Pop Artists turning to satanic imagery to drum up controversy and sales, experts say. Now, the article kind of goes like this. I'll just give you a couple of lines from it. It starts this way. It says, An age-old saying in Hollywood that sex sells, but with consumers finding themselves oversaturated with sexual imagery, today's top acts are turning to something even more sinful to get our attention, Satan. Uh, take, for example, uh, going on, performer Nicki Minaj's Pink Friday Roman Reloaded is getting a lot of buzz this month due in large part to her infamous Grammy performance earlier this year where she acted out scenes from an exorcism on stage. It continues. Uh, the pop star continues to feed into the buzz machine and has even gone as far as to explain that she believes a demon named Roman lives inside of her, inspiring all of her music. You know, this appeal to satanic imagery, you know, uh, and, and hell is not limited to musicians like Nicki Minaj. People like Lady Gaga and Kanye West and Tyler, the creator, have all claimed recently the devil as their own as a way of driving dollars and, and hopefully sales. But the topic of hell isn't limited to music. I mean, it comes up in the media, too. I mean, when Osama bin Laden was killed, there was someone in the press who said he's in hell now getting what he deserves. 
Same thing happened when Casey Anthony was found not guilty recently. There was lots of talk about how she'd eventually get what she had coming to her in hell. And by the way, did you know that there's a hell Michigan? Did you know that? In fact, uh, here, here's their sign. You can apply online to be mayor for the day uh, in, in the town of hell. But, uh, you know, the topic of hell has made a bit of a comeback in churches, too. You know, in many discussions. You know, last year, two authors, Rob Bell and Francis Chan, you know, created lots of talk in churches and in groups and on discussion boards with their books on the subject of hell. You know, and you've heard of the book, uh, you've heard about the book about the boy who died and went to heaven only to come back to be able to tell others about it. Well, there's a book about an author who claims to have had a near death experience and spent 23 minutes in hell. Different author, not a sequel or anything like that. All right. Completely different person. But we see the subject, the topic of hell in TV and movies, too. Ah, Elaine and Putty, you can't, uh, you can't live without them. But, uh, you know, the topic of hell, you know, even on some of our favorite TV shows and in the movies, you know, there's all of this talk of hell, all of these pop cultural references uh, to the subject of hell. But the truth is, the truth is that very few people claim to believe in hell. In fact, according to a recent national survey conducted by the Barna Research Group, and look at some of these stats here, 68% of people today say they don't believe in a place of torment and suffering. And while 68% of people say they don't believe in hell, at the same time, and you might find this kind of interesting, 76% of people do believe in heaven, will say that there is a place called heaven. And for many, you know, the question comes up that, well, if there is a hell, then really who goes to a place like hell? And it, it seems like a natural place for those who are murderers and genocidal types, the Hitlers and the Stalins of the world, the country music lovers. Uh, just kidding. I, I don't have anything against country music. It just, woo, lots of booze. So that's it, huh? It's all going to come down to that, right? Just, I don't have anything against country music. It just seems like a natural fit. But anyway, but, but with, you know, some of this tension and some of this pushback, I mean, does it surprise you that so many today find the subject of hell very intolerant, even the possibility of a place after death called hell? While ironically enough, at the very same time, you know, while intolerant, how many of those people, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't hesitate to send somebody to hell with their words? I mean, it's a very difficult issue. I mean, let, let's just be real honest about that this morning. It's a very touchy issue. I mean, there's no getting around the fact that the topic of hell is a major stumbling block for those who are outside of the church today looking in. But let's just be honest and say, too, that I think it's a difficult subject for Christians. You know, maybe even some of you here today. But that question, how can a loving God send someone to hell? One college student wrote this way. He says, I doubt the existence of a judgmental God who requires blood to pacify his wrath. Someone had to die before the Christian God would pardon us. But why can't he just forgive? One young woman, she wrote this way. She says, I have even more of a problem with the doctrine of hell. The only God who is believable to me is a God of love. The, Bible, the Bible's God is, is no more than a primitive deity who must be appeased with pain and suffering. How could a loving God send someone to hell? That's our IDK question today. I, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I, I wonder what sort of responses or answers you even walk in here with today when it comes to such a question. But here's what I want to do. As we get rolling in this today, with the 25 minutes that we have left, I just feel like I need to say up front, there's only so much we can talk about today in 25 minutes of time. Only so much that we can address. And so it's quite possible that you come in here today with some particular questions or, or hopes of, of things that we might address around this topic of hell that we're not going to get to. 
And just as a way of helping you in that, if you'd like to go a little bit further with this subject, if you open up your worship program today, you'll find that I've included just three resources for you that you might check out on your own books that have been very influential and helpful to me over the years, uh, books that you might enjoy reading uh, for yourself. So I want, I want you to check these out if you'd like to go a little bit more with this, this question. But back to our IDK question for today. How could a loving God send someone to hell? Let me make a couple of disclaimers before we get started into this. The first thing is this. I want you to know that, that this morning when I woke up, I didn't jump out of bed, throw up my arms in the air and say, yippee, I get to talk about hell today, all right? It, it doesn't work like that, all right? I mean, in fact, this is something pretty heavy that I've been carrying with me for most of the week. But the second thing is this, and I want you to hear me say this. Please understand that I don't want anyone to go to hell. I, I don't have any sort of sick demented, twisted, you know, sort of belief that, that requires that I condemn people or that God condemn people and, and knowing that they're going to go to hell. And I just have to say that because this is such a touchy, sensitive topic. And I don't know if, if we always, as followers of Jesus, do the best with such a topic. You know, but when it comes to condemnation, you know, that's not for me. That's not for anyone. That, that's God's responsibility as far as I'm, I'm concerned. And, and having said that, I just want you to know that I'm going to do my best today to allow God to speak through me as he's been working on my heart this past week. And I want him to speak through his word. I have confidence that he will for us. And so I want to look at a few questions to kind of guide us along in that together. And if you want to follow along with us in your notes, you can do that. I want to start off today with kind of a greater philosophical question, and then we'll narrow it down to a couple of, of more specific questions. The first one is this. The first question is just simply, is hell real? All right. When, when it, is hell real? Robert Bella is a renowned American psychologist or sociologist. And in one of his most influential works called Habits of the Heart, a book that speaks about what he calls expressive individualism in America, this, this concept, this belief, this thought process that in his opinion dominates American culture today. And in his book, Bella notes that 80% of Americans today, 80% of Americans agree with this statement. An individual should arrive at his or her own religious beliefs independent of any church or synagogue. Basically, what he's saying is you get to decide for yourself that there is this common, overwhelmingly uh, common, you know, conception thought process out there today that you and I have the freedom to decide for ourselves what we believe. You get to choose what you want. You can package your beliefs, your thought process all together and whatever works for you works. And no one should be able to tell you otherwise. It's what Bella calls expressive individualism. It's this belief that moral truth is relative to individual consciousness. An example of something like that, of that type of belief process today, would be that you would hear someone say something like this, I believe in God and Jesus. I have no problem with a God who loves me and supports me no matter how I choose to live my life. But I do, however, object to a God who punishes people for their beliefs. That doesn't work for me. Again, this is just an example of what he calls expressive individualism. Now, I tell you that as a way of just saying that I know what we're up against today. All right, I know that even in our church, you know, that, that within all of us, that, that there is this tendency, this lean towards what he calls expressive individualism. And so with that in mind, can I just ask you this today? 
would you do me just the favor of listening in today and even holding on to the possibility that whatever it is that you believe about this subject of hell might not be the last word on the matter, that there might be some more for you and for me to learn on this. And I want you to know up clearly, you know, so that there is no doubt in this at all. For this church, you know, for me, the Bible is our source of truth. All right, it is our source of truth. It is what we look to that we do believe, that I do believe that we do have a source of truth in this world, and it is God's word for us. And so that's where we're going to look today. And I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that there is a place called hell. And guess who talks about hell more than any other person? It's Jesus. Jesus talked about it more than any other person. Jesus is willing to say the things, to discuss the things that often we don't want to talk about, and he always tells the truth. And so let me just show you a few of these examples from the Bible. In just the very first gospel, the book of Matthew, Jesus speaks of hell uh, at least 12 different times. And here are some of the words that he uses to describe hell. And I'm going to go through these kind of quickly, but I've included each of the scripture references for you in your notes so that you can go back and check them out later. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus speaking of hell uses the term fire, all right? Something that maybe many of us are familiar with or what often comes to our mind when we think of hell. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus goes a little bit further with it. And not only does he use the word fire, but he also uses the word eternal fire. In Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus describes hell as a place of destruction. In Matthew seven twenty three, uh, Jesus describes hell as existence separated from God, and he uses the word away from me, you evildoers. In Matthew twenty two thirteen, he uses the word darkness, and then in Matthew eight verse twelve, Jesus uses that term, that, that phrase that you've maybe heard before, weeping and gnashing of teeth, which just means it's a super uh, intense expression of personal pain of those and that which is experienced in hell. And so, those are some of the images and some of the words that Jesus uses all throughout the Gospels to describe hell. Now, my question for you is, what do you think of when you think of hell? All right, what, what sort of images come to your mind? What has influenced your thought process around this concept of hell? I'll, I'll be real honest with you. You ever heard of The Far Side? All right, Gary Larson, all right, you've ever heard of that famous comic before? I loved reading The Far Side as a kid. He, he's maybe influenced many more than we realize. You know, here's this one. There's just the guy whistling, working away. Hey, you know, we're just not reaching that guy, you know. Uh, how about this next one here? Oh, man, the coffee's cold. They thought of everything. All right. Uh, this next one here, I, I love this one. All right, three more, two more, one more. Okay, five million leg lifts. All right, right leg first, ready, set. All right. It, pretty funny. All right, I, I don't know if you're any far side fans or not, but, but isn't it true? I mean, our perception of hell, you know, the, the thought processes that we have of hell, I mean, how much of it is really influenced out of something, you know, like, like a far side comic, you know? But because we often think, you know, if hell exists, isn't it really just a place of caves and and dungeons and little guys, you know, with pointed tails running around with red suits on? But the Bible says nothing of that, nothing of that at all. And while the Bible doesn't give a lot of descriptors about hell, Jesus, you know, he uses words like fire and utter darkness to kind of get our minds moving towards the reality of this place. Another time in Mark chapter nine, verse 43 Jesus speaks of a person going to hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And with verses like these and others, you know, most theologians will tell you that the images and some of the terms that we get in Scripture about hell are metaphorical. Now, when I say metaphorical, I don't mean that they're not real. All right, that's not what that means. 
But when metaphors are used in the Bible, it's because language falls short of really describing the literal truth. And so fire and darkness are metaphors that describe what happens for us, for anyone, when we lose the presence of God in our life. And so Jesus isn't using words like these just to spook us or to freak us out or something. He's using these words as a way of describing what life apart from God would be or will be like. Now, the word that Jesus often used for hell is the word Gehenna, all right, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Thirteen different times in 11 different verses, Jesus used the word Gehenna as a comparison to hell. Now, Gehenna was formerly known as the Valley of Hinnom in the Old Testament, and it was an actual valley located just outside of Jerusalem. It was the city dump. All right, Jesus' people would have known what he was talking about when he referred to Gehenna because he was talking about the city dump just outside of town. It's where people took their trash to be burned. Now, the word Gehenna means everlasting punishment. And according to history, they say that the fires of Gehenna never went out. There was always a fire going on in this valley. And, and it's where people would go to throw the dead, especially those dead who had no families to properly dispose of their bodies. And so Gehenna is where that worm reference comes from. Jesus wasn't talking about night crawlers, all right? He was talking about maggots, all right, as he described this place called Gehenna. And so Jesus used earthly imagery, again, as giving a visual to people to help them best understand what hell would be like, what eternal separation from God entails. And so Jesus is clear, in my opinion. I believe that Jesus is clear and the Bible is clear in what it teaches, and that is that hell, hell is real. It's a very real place. Now, who's it for? All right, the next question is, who's it for? Who goes to hell and why? Now, before we dive into this one, and before I say anything more on this, I want you to hear me say this clearly. God is for you. You need to know that God is for you, that, that he loves you. I, I, I like the way one pastor said it, Dave Ferguson. He said, you know, the reality of hell is not a declaration from God that he is against you. Our God is for you. He, he's in love with you. He, he is passionate about you, and you just you have to hear me say that. You've got to hear me say that today, B. And I, I think it's so important to hear this because, again, I think it's so easy for us to get sideways on an issue like God because it, it kind of goes back to that expressive individualism thing. You know that oftentimes we kind of leave our mind and our experiences and what others are saying, and, and we kind of take up for ourselves and we choose these images of God. And, and and so I hope you can see how easily our emotions and life experiences can influence your opinion and maybe even how you believe that God feels about you. It's kind of like this. Look at it like this. How many of you would ever say, how many of you would say that you've ever enjoyed watching someone get what they had coming to them? All right? All right? Here, you know, here, kind of here's what I mean. Like, you're out on I-465, all right? And somebody cuts you off, all right? I mean, he is just in and out of traffic, you know, not paying attention to anything. You get a couple miles up the road and somebody's pulled him over. There's a cop that's got him on the side of the road. I mean, have you had a moment like that and you cheer a little bit? It's like a personal victory. I mean, maybe a double tap on your horn as you're going by or something, you know? I mean, we're all kind of like that to a certain degree, right? Or, or it's kind of like this. Look at it like this. How many of you would say uh, that, that you've ever wanted to get back at somebody, all right? Wanted to get back at someone? All right, look at it like this. Um, so my kids are playing sports, and, and my eight-year-old son, Joel, was playing basketball this past winter, and I was an assistant coach on his team, and Joel's doing really well in basketball, but there's some kids that are doing awesome. I mean, there are some kids out on the floor that are they're blocking shots, they can steal the ball, they can go on a fast break, they can score 20 or 25 points. I get a little competitive. There were a couple of points where I wanted to check in. 
I mean, if it was possible to check in and let me guard the kid, all right? Let me, let me put the ball back in his face a little bit. It's like, what's up, second grade, you know? I mean, you know, I mean, you ever kind of, I'm not the only one there, right? We've got some other dads that are a little competitive like that. I mean, you know, I want to go in and shut that kid down or something. And so we've all got a little bit of that in us. You know, where, where we want to give somebody what we feel like they deserve. I mean, someone offends you, you want to offend them back. Somebody becomes your enemy or hurts you or hurts your spouse or hurts your kid, we want to retaliate. We want to hate them back. You know, we want to hurt them. And because I have that in me, and because I'm pretty sure that you have that in you too, sometimes we assume that God is like that, that God operates that way, that, that he created hell because he's ticked off. You know, he's angry and he wants to punish people. But the truth is this. God's not like me. He's not like me and he's not like us. And he finds no pleasure in the punishment of anyone. Turn to the book of Ezekiel, if you would. If you've got your own Bibles with you, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. God is describing for us. He is saying for us how he reacts to our wickedness and our sinfulness. You know, the scriptures have something to say about how he responds in our worst moments. Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. He says, but if wicked people turn away from all their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. A more accurate translation right here would say, I find no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. Verse 30, Therefore I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Again, God doesn't want to destroy anyone, and He certainly doesn't want us to destroy ourselves either. Verse 31, Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. I pray that you hear those words today and read them over and over again if you need to. You know, that our God makes it clear that he finds no pleasure in the punishment of any of his children. He's different than us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says it this way. God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back to the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. You know, what do these verses show us? He wants all people. Our God wants all people. He's holding out as long as he can. He's waiting for hearts to change and lives to come back to him. And it doesn't matter how evil you are. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. God desires all people to find their way back to him through Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, write this down. God's not trying to send you to hell. You need to know this. God is not trying to send you hell. He died to keep you from it. He sent Jesus Christ who died to keep you and me from it. And so who goes to hell? Who's hell reserved for? Well, Jesus tells a story, another story in Scripture about two guys. And there's one who is simply known in this particular story as the rich man and another, a beggar, by the name of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus spent his life outside of the rich man's front door. 
All right, he spent his life begging outside of the rich man's door. Now, one day, according to the story as Jesus was telling it, Lazarus and the rich man both die. The beggar, Lazarus, goes to heaven while the rich guy ends up in hell. Now, that was a pretty controversial thing for Jesus to say in this day because for this culture, wealth was a sign of God's favor. Wealth was a sign that you were a good person. Poverty meant you were bad. And so the guy everyone thinks would wind up in heaven, well, he's actually in hell. And here's how the story begins in Luke 16, verse 24. It says, The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Now, there are some really interesting things about this story. Just to point out a couple. Again, I want you to notice that the name of the rich man is never mentioned. We get no name from beginning to end. He's just referred to as the rich man. And if you read this story for yourself, you'll see it the same as the verses continue. His only identity in the story is money. His only identity in the story is his riches. His only identity is his possessions. That was his life, his money. And it's interesting that that is what he would be known for in the afterlife too. And so notice also how he doesn't speak directly to Lazarus. Instead, he calls on Abraham to send Lazarus to serve him. I mean, could you just send the beggar down here to help me out of the bind that I'm in? Now, even in hell, you know, the rich man still thinks that Lazarus should serve him. And for this rich man... I just think that we can see that the afterlife is a continuation of sorts of the life that he had already lived on earth. I mean, he never turns to God. He is only focused on himself and his own needs. He lived his life on this earth in sin, far from God, and instead he calls out. And rather than speaking directly to Lazarus, he calls on Abraham to send Lazarus to serve him. Again, could you send him to come help a beggar out? I mean, this is kind of what hell is like. What you pick in this life is what you get in the next. I mean, I think that's the point of the story that Jesus is telling here, that what you pick in this life is what you get in the next. I mean, it was the rich man's sin that did this to him. Please hear that. I mean, please understand what sin is and what it does. Your sin and my sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter if it's the sin of pride. It doesn't matter if it's the sin of lust or or the sin of greed. You know, they're not just mistakes. They're not just quirks, you know. They're not just imperfections. Sin is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And if not dealt with appropriately and ultimately, sin can become life-consuming. So whose sin is so serious then that it warrants hell? Well, if you're like me, all right, if, if you're like me, I'd like to believe that only people like Hitler, you know, people who go around intentionally and selfishly hurting lots of people are the only ones whose sin is that serious. But honestly, that's not what Scripture says. In light of Scripture, who is hell for? Who goes to hell? People like me. Like good people. You know, who, who drive cars and live in subdivisions all around Hamilton County, you know, and go to work each day and provide their fam- for their families and, and love them. And you might hear something like that and say, say again, what, like, what do you say? It's people like me who reject the grace and the forgiveness and love of God in this life. It's people like me and people like you who get hell. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. You know, I mean, sin separates us from God. God can't, God can't tolerate sin. I mean, we weren't created for sin. You and I, we were created for Jesus Christ. You know, and because you and I aren't capable of overcoming the problem of sin on our own, you know, in our lives, God in His love, 
because He is patient, because He is good, because He doesn't want anyone to perish. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus came and lived a perfect life as a sinless man in this world, and He took the pain and the agony that I deserved in His life, on His life, the punishment for my sin. He took that sin to the cross. You know, the Scriptures say that He became sin for us. He became sin for me, and He rose from the dead as a way of defeating sin for us once and for all. And that's why the truth, the good news, is found in verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17, which say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come for us. Now, when does this new life begin? You know, when does this new life begin? How do we find our victory over sin? How do we find eternal life with God? It's through Jesus. Uh, it's like what that verse just said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. It's, it's when we surrender our heart and, and our lives to Jesus Christ that everything changes. And so who goes to hell? It's people like me. If I continually over and over again reject God's love and mercy for my sin in this life. And, and just like the rich man in the story we looked at a moment ago, if it's all about me in this life and I reject God in this life, it's what I'm going to get in the next life. So back to our question, our big IDK question for today. Why does a loving God send people to hell? Honestly, he doesn't. I mean, instead, God really gives us in the next life what we choose for ourselves in this life. Let me just say that again. I believe that God really gives us in the next life what we choose for ourselves in this life. And because he wants to love us and be loved back by us, he's not going to violate our free will. We all have a choice. I mean, the choice is this. If I choose Jesus and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes with Jesus Christ in this life, I will be with God in heaven in the next life. But if I reject the grace and the mercy of God and Jesus in this life, then I will go into the next life to hell, separated from God. Now, that might be a new take on things for you. And, you know, no matter where you are in all this, that, that might leave you with some questions today. I mean, something for you to even to think about, you know, to think that in the heaven, end, heaven is something that you and I, we get to choose by the grace of God. But what a strange thing to think that when it comes to hell, hell is something that we choose by continually rejecting the grace of God in this life. Something we choose. You know, we'd like to think that hell is a place where, where all the people go who find it impossible to please God. You know, that God's mad and he's going to get the final word in the matter. But hell is not like that. It's not because God is rejecting us. It's because we're rejecting him. And we get what we want. Tim Keller said it this way. He says, what if when we die, we don't end, but spiritually our life extends into eternity? He goes on to say, hell then is the trajectory of a soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. Dorothy Sayers, a Christian writer, she said it like this, in hell, you get what you want, if that's what you really want. If you insist on having your own way, you will get it. Hell is enjoyment of your own way forever. And C.S. Lewis, once a doubter turned a follower of Christ, he wrote, In the end, in the very end, God may have to say to me, Oh, very well, Lewis, have it your own way. Your will be done. I, I want to be crystal clear on this with you. If you choose to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ in this life, you will be with him in the next life. But if you choose to do this life without Jesus, you will live without him. In the next one. 
Now, again, I know that that might not answer every question that you come in here with today. And I just got to be honest with you today and say there are still some questions that I have and some things that I am curious about. For example, why isn't it that God gives us a second chance? Why wouldn't he give us a second chance after we die? And to a question like that, I just simply have to say, IDK, I don't know. But I want to close with this. I want to close with a couple of things and then we'll pray. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. I want to say something, first of all, to those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Whether you call this church your church or maybe you have another church and you're just here visiting today. Do you remember the Seinfeld clip we watched just a moment ago? All right, with with Elaine and, and Putty. What were Elaine's words? She says, if there is a hell, you should care about it. You should care that I am going there and want to do something about it. Hey, listen, I don't want you to leave today with just nothing more than confidence in what your church teaches. Because if all you leave with today is, that's right, he said it, it needed to be said, and we said it. And and so I'm just glad that Genesis Church is willing to take a tough question like this and and really speak up for truth. If that's all you take away today, well, I, I believe you're missing a big part of it all. Because here's what I want for you today. Knowing that hell exists... And knowing that there will be some who will choose, maybe many, who will choose to live their life eternally separated from God. I think the question that you have to ask today is, what does that do to my heart? Like, what does it do to my heart to know that there are people living around me and maybe even in my home right now who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? What does it mean that there are people that I I do not enjoy, maybe don't even like in this world, hate in this world, and that maybe the, the life that they're choosing is a life separated from God? Like, what am I going to do about that? Here's the thing. Do you know that you've never looked face to face with anyone that God is not passionately in love with? It's never happened. You've never done that. He he is concerned for his people. He is holding off. He is waiting with all hope that everyone possible will come to him. I mean, we are, you and I, did, did you know this? You and I, we are part of God's plan for bringing hope to this world. You and I, we are, we are instrumental. I mean, this church, you know, the church of, the, of this community who, who teach the message of Jesus Christ, we are part of God's plan of helping people find their way back to God through Him. And so my prayer for you today is that God would give you a heart like His. My, my prayer today is that you would ask God to break your heart, to love people as God loves people. And I want you to pray for people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ. And if you need to write their names down so that you remember, write their names down. But to ask God to give you opportunities to make a difference in their life. And it's just for reasons like these, you know, for we as a church with a bold mission statement of helping people find their way back to God, we've got work to do. It's why we keep moving ahead. It's why we're opening a campus in Carmel. It's why we're a generous church. All right, it's why we're going to open more campuses in the future and we're going to plant churches because we are passionately committed to helping people find their way back to God. There is nothing greater than what we could do with our lives than to live in such a way that brings glory to our Father in heaven. And finally, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never put your trust in Him. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let's look at it again one more time. He says, he is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. In these words, he is patient, not wanting anyone to be destroyed. He is holding back, waiting for everyone to repent. Our God is a God of love. And so the question is, what, what does that mean to you? What life are you choosing for yourself today? You know, I can't finish this message today without challenging you. I can't finish this message without asking, are you willing to stop playing down the seriousness of your sin? Are are you willing to come to that place to stop declaring that you're a pretty good person and being a pretty good person, well, I guess just that'll get you so far. 
But what about Jesus? Are you willing to just say today, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need your heart. And I want to be with you today forever and always. It's available to you today. Why would you put it off any longer? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and your grace for us. That your, your love, it, it's unexplainable, Lord, how great and how deep and how wide it really is. That you care for every single one of us. And God, I want to pray for all of us here today. Uh, every person sitting in this room right now, God, I pray that you would, you, would, you would come into our hearts and our lives, that you would speak into us today and you would give us... God, I, I just pray that you help us to search even today where we stand with a message like this. And God, for those that are here today that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that we'd ask, what does this mean for me today? Even right now, I mean, what am I living a life of hope? Am I living a life of love? Am, am I resting in assurance to have the confidence of what Jesus Christ has done for me and how that changes everything? And I want to challenge you, even in your prayers today, to think about who is it in your life right now? Maybe the, who's the face? Who's the name that's coming to mind where God may just be speaking in you today and saying, you can make all the difference in the world for that person. Who's God calling you to this morning? What name? Are you lifting that person up? Are you loving that person as he loves them? Let's be those kind of people. Let's be that kind of church.